Alexa, does God still heal? Hmm, I don't know that one. I can't do explanations yet. Hey students, it's so good to see all of you tonight. Uh, those of you that have made it here in person, it's so good to see you here. And those of you that are joining us through Instagram Live, it, I'm so glad that we have the capability for you to do that, for you to be able to, to hop right in uh, to the worship and message tonight uh, from wherever you are. And tonight we are going to be wrapping up our series that we've been in the whole month of July called Unanswered, where we have been asking real questions when it comes to faith, when it comes to God, religion, and, and how it interacts with society. So we've been asking these real tough, in a lot of ways, deep questions, and we have been receiving biblical, truthful answers to those questions. I, I know uh, it's been a lot of information, uh, but really I, I've been so grateful that we've done this series because I think this series is something, and the information that we've learned through this series is something that we all need to know just as we prepare to share our faith with others. And as we live in this world where uh, society, where, where you're taught different things, and the world says one thing and Scripture says another, it's good to understand what is it do we, do we really believe. And when we're encountered with these, uh, these questions from culture, how should we respond? What is the response? And, and is there any part of the, the question that society is asking, is there anything with that that's true? Does any of it contradict Christianity? Does any of it contradict our faith? And so as we've gone through the month of July, I'm just refresh your memory, the questions that we've walked through. We started out just saying, how could God be good when there's so much bad that is happening in the world? And then we talked about how could God be the loving God that we see in the Bible, but yet people still go to hell. And then we, we kind of shifted gears and we talked about science and faith. And we asked the question, does science contradict Christianity? And, and we looked at the Big Bang Theory, we looked at evolution, and we looked at how there's a lot of holes in these theories. And, and while on some levels the, the theories are not wrong, when we look at larger levels of the theories, questions need to be asked. And then last week we looked at uh, is Christianity the only true religion? And we, we talked about how, yeah, Christianity is, is exclusive, and it's very exclusive, but it's also the only faith that is very inclusive. Uh, and so we talked about how every religion is exclusive. Every religion claims that this is the one way, uh, and if you don't follow this way, you don't get eternal life or whatever's to come, whether it's eternal life in heaven or whether it's reincarnation as uh, people are, who believe Hinduism uh, would say, and so we looked at how Christianity, out of every other world religion, is the only one that is inclusive and is there for all people. Uh, tonight, uh, we'll wrap up this series, but before we start really talking about the question of the night, I, I kind of want to start out talking about HGTV. Uh, any of y'all watch HGTV? Uh, Elizabeth has really gotten me into HGTV. I love it or list it. Uh, showed me the Joanna Gaines one, Fixer Upper, as I was watching that a couple times. There's that Hometown one. Uh, I've watched Hometown probably the most out of all of them. Uh, the guy on Hometown looks like one of my buddies. Um, so it's, it's just been really cool. You know, it's almost a really satisfying show. Like, they take these old beat-up houses, 
and you're like, dude, I would never, you couldn't pay me enough money to go move in to one of those houses. But then they're like, oh, don't worry, uh, give us $100,000 and we'll transform this house and everyone will wish we lived in this house. And so it's been really neat to see how that they can go into like a dump and just make it look 100 times better. What I realized is while they might be able to fix just about every problem on their own, there's always one problem where if they encounter this problem, it shuts the whole operation down. Shuts the whole thing down until they can get someone to come out and fix it. And that's a foundation issue. When there's a problem with the foundation, they have to stop everything they are doing and they have to fix that foundation. And that's because no matter what they do to the house, no matter what color they paint the walls or the, the new fixtures they put on the doors or the cabinets, if they don't fix that foundation, that house is going to fall. That house cannot stand. The doors are, are going to end up coming to a place where they can't even open the doors because the house is sideways. And then a lot of times, us as Christians, we get told that the word of God, scripture, the Bible, is what we ought to be building our foundation on when it comes to our faith, that the word of God is our foundation. And I think a lot of times we question whether or not the, the Bible, the word of God, is true. And I think a lot of times we, we entertain this question of, is the Bible true? So tonight, I just want us to, to ask whether or not the Bible is the trustworthy foundation that we should be building our lives on? And I think it's an honest question that we need to ask. Like I said, we entertain this question of, is, is the Bible true? Uh, and, and I think, you know, when we say, what if the Bible isn't true? Uh, tonight, I want us to say, ask, what if it's true? Because if the Bible is true, then that means there are huge implications for our lives. Not just our lives, but the lives of everyone around you. Everyone who doesn't believe in the Bible, if the Bible is true, that means there are eternal consequences, eternal uh, ramifications for those who are not building their, their foundation on the word of God. And so I want us to kind of look at three different things tonight as we, we ask the question, is the Bible the trustworthy word of God? And here's the three things we're going to look at. First of all, just generally, what is in the Bible? What is in the Bible? The second thing, has the Bible changed? And can I trust it? And the third thing we'll look at is, what do I do with the Bible? Great, you, you've told me that I should trust the word of God, but w what do I do with it? And so we're going to look at these three things. And, and the, the first one, again, what is in the Bible? And, and for some of you, this may be uh, just old news. You know what's in the Bible. But I, I, I don't want to take any chances and assume that everyone knows what's in the Bible. And so we're going to generally talk through what is in the Bible. And, and I think a great way to think of the Bible is a library of books, right? A library of books where it, it, it's got, in fact, 66 books, and, and each book is kind of dealing with different things. And so, you, you know, you hear people say, well, if you're sad, like there's a verse for that, there's a verse for this, and that's true. And it's a library of books. And these books are broken up largely into two sections called the Old Testament and the New Testament. And again, I, I know for many of this, this is just old knowledge that we've known before, but again, for some of us, we may never have realized all of this. And within the Old Testament, the, the primary focus of the Old Testament is focusing on the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. The way that God worked through the nation of Israel, fulfilled his promises to the nation of Israel, and brought them largely into the promised land and redeemed them. 
And then you, you have the New Testament, which largely focuses on the life of Jesus and everything after. You, you've got the, the life of Jesus in the, the four Gospels, and then you have life after his death and resurrection. And I think sometimes as we read Scripture, we're, we're prone to get confused. I, I remember when I was a, a, a youth, a student, and if you would have told me to just start reading the Bible, I probably would have opened to Genesis and just started reading. And by the time I got uh, to Exodus, I was confused. And maybe even three chapters into Genesis, I was just confused. And I think this is because we're really prone to just read it straight through like a normal book. You know, like if you pick up a, a Harry Potter book, or I don't know, whatever book is popular these days for, for kids to read, if you just pick up any book, and you read it straight through, it's a narrative, right? It's one story, and as you go from page one to page 100, the story flows, right? It's not confusing, and everything is intertwined, and everything flows, everything makes sense. And so when we read the Bible and we start getting confused, I think one of the biggest problems we have, and the biggest reasons we get confused is because we don't understand how the Bible is organized. And people say, well, uh, the Bible is supposed to be this one continuous story of God's love for his people. But as you read the Bible, it just makes no sense. It's confusing. It's not one continuous flow and storyline as we read it, as it appears to be on paper. I just want to tell you that the Bible does not take place in chronological order. Okay, And as we read the Bible, we need to realize that, that the Bible does not take place in chronological order. I don't know if you have a chronological Bible, I do, and it's really fascinating if you look at the difference between a Bible that is written in chronological order, has been reordered in chronological order, versus your standard Bible that you have. Uh, as you look through the Old Testament, the New Testament, if you're looking at it the way it was intended to be read, you'll realize that all the books are grouped by genres, right, by the type of book, the type, the style of writing. So I want to walk you through each section of the Old Testament, each section of the New Testament, so you can see how these are broken up. So we're going to start in the Old Testament. I think we have those slides up there for you to see of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the first set of the Old Testament is what we call the law, okay? And it's, it's Genesis through Deuteronomy, and all the books of the Bible are going to be written up here. So uh, if I were you, yeah, take a picture of it if you want this information, or just write down the general, general uh kind of parameters that I'm giving you. So the law is Genesis through Deuteronomy, and it focuses on God's law that he gave the people. And then you transition into the history books, which is kind of the history of the nation of Israel. What, what is happening with the, the nation of Israel as they cross into the promised land, as, as they do obey God, as they don't obey God, and they enter into exile and everything else. And so that goes Joshua to Esther. And then you have a completely different style of writing as you get into the books of Job through Songs of Solomon. And this is the poetry section where you have David, where you have Solomon. Uh, and in Psalms, you have various different authors who are writing in Psalms, but it's largely believed that David wrote most of the Psalms. And they're poetry. They are meant to be read almost like a song, like a poem. And then you get into the books of prophecy, which are Isaiah through Malachi. And then these books are broken up between major and minor prophets. Uh, and, and largely, they are the ones, the major prophets are the ones who had the biggest influence uh, on the nation of Israel. And they are the longest books 
that you will, you will see in the prophets. And then you have the minor prophets, these prophets who, who had influence, um, but maybe it was for a specific issue, not necessarily the entire nation as a whole, or maybe it was to one specific set of the nation of Israel. Now, as you transfer into the New Testament, you have four different groups within the New Testament. You have the Gospels, which many of us know that it focus completely on the life of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you transition into the book of Acts. And Acts is just essentially the history of how the church began. It's the history of how the Holy Spirit began to work in and through the church. And we see uh, at the end of the Gospels that Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. And so we begin to see in the book of Acts how the Holy Spirit works through the church. And then you get into the epistles, which are essentially epistle means letter. And largely, these letters are written by uh, Paul, but there are some other authors in there. And these are letters written to the churches of a city uh, or to specific people. And so Romans, it's the letter from Paul to the church of Rome, etc. And you, you have some uh, that were written uh, by Peter and Timothy and all these other people who are writing to specific people. And so these books of the Bible are all grouped together, not by time sequence, but by genre. Okay, so if we're going into the Bible expecting it to read uh, concisely and, and read as one general flow, we are, we're going to be confused. Because as you get to 1 Kings, when you flip to 2 Kings, some of it's going to be repetitive. Whereas you get to 1 Samuel, it, it's going to be repetitive of, of kings. Okay, so there are different people's perspectives on what's happening in the nation of Israel. Okay, so for, for us to group kings and first and second Samuel together, it, it wouldn't make sense because they're written by different people and they're different perspectives on the same thing. But what we see is as we look largely at the Bible, it, it is one storyline. And, and it's uh, remarkable, honestly, that there is one continuous storyline given that there's 40 different authors in the Bible. And the storyline is this. The storyline of the Bible is God's plan to redeem the world. God's plan to redeem the world, and we see that at the very beginning in Genesis, where, where depending on who you talk to, the argument can be made that, that God is, or Jesus is with the Father as things are being created. When God says, we will create them in our, speaking of man, we will create them in our own image, let us create them, that's plural. And I, I'm led to believe that Jesus is with the Father as he is creating creation. And then as you get into Genesis 3, God gives a promise that one day he's going to send someone to strike the head of the serpent, strike the, the, the head of Satan, speaking and prophesying of Jesus. And so as we look at the beginning of scripture all the way through the end, it is God's rescue plan for humanity. So it's one storyline. It may be different perspectives. And, and as you go book to book, it may not flow continuously but the storyline remains, and the storyline remains to be God's rescue plan for humanity. If you've ever watched a, a TV show or, or a movie where there's flashbacks, that's a great way to think of, uh, especially a lot of the Old Testament, is there's flashbacks. You know, and different books are flashing back to different points of time. So that's generally what is in the Bible. So that leads us to the question of, can I trust the Bible? Or has the Bible changed? I think that's a... A big question that people 
uh, claim and have a problem with is they say, oh, the, the Bible's this 2,000-year-old book. Surely it's changed. And as different translations occurred, surely it's changed. And so let me just ask it: is it possible that the Bible is just a bunch of myths? That someone came along several years later and just decided, hey, I'm going to write this story about a guy named Jesus, and I'm going to put all this history behind about the nation of Israel, and it's just this one big myth that a lot of people have just believed. No, it's not. And here's why. It is not possible because we have copies of the New Testament. We have copies of Scripture, and especially the Gospels and the Gospel of John that date back to 90 to 110 A.D., which is the time that John was alive and breathing and writing. And so for us to have really, in a a lot of cases, arguably the first manuscripts that were physically written by the author, then no, it's not possible for someone to come along years later to write these stories. And so, uh, no, it is physically not possible for that, for it to be true that the Bible's just a bunch of myths. So, So another question, maybe one that's more believable, is it possible that the disciples, you know, Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, John, uh, Peter, all, all these guys just got together and they decided to make this myth. And they decided, oh, we've got to have this like hero of the story. So we'll name him, we'll name him Jesus. This guy's going to be named Jesus. He's going to come from a really poor family and he's going to come from a, a city that you probably couldn't find on a map. And and we're all gonna get together, we're gonna get our stories straight, uh, but be cool with it. We're all gonna die for this myth that we're making up, but be cool with that. Be cool with dying for this myth, that this this lie that we're all making up. Be cool with it because one day, everyone's gonna name their kids after us, and then everyone is going to base their calendar off of this Figurative guy that we've made up. If you didn't know, your calendar is based off of the life of Jesus. You are living in the year 2020 AD, which means after the death of Christ. BC means before Christ. And so everyone bases their calendar supposedly off of this figurative guy, right? And I'm just going to say that that's a pretty elaborate scheme. That's a pretty elaborate story for a bunch of fishermen who barely knew how to read and write. It is pretty remarkable that they could come up with that. But is it possible? Sure. Sure, it's possible. It, it, sure, it, it is possible that these guys just all got together and were willing to die for this. But a lot of things are possible. A lot of things are possible. But is it logical? Is it logical that people were willing to die for a lie that they made up? No, it's not logical at all. It's not logical at all. Anything is possible, but it, not everything is logical. I'm just going to throw this out there that you cannot prove history. You cannot prove history. You believe history by faith. You believe history because your teachers have taught you history, because you read a history book and it tells you, hey, this happened. Everyone knows George Washington, right? I'm just going to use him as an example. How do you know George Washington existed? Like, could it be possible that George Washington never existed? That the, the pictures that we have of him, the paintings that we have of him were all fabricated? Is that possible? That's a heck of a con- conspiracy theory. 
Sure, it's possible. Is it logical? No, it's not logical at all. And anyone with half a brain is going to say, no, that's not logical at all. George Washington existed. He was the first president of the United States. All of our historical artifacts point to that. And, and so, yeah, a, a lot of things are possible, but it's not logical. You know, when, when we look at the Bible, uh, people ask, well, is it possible that the Bible has been changed? Is it possible that over the years, the Bible, the current Bible, the modern Bible that we read, is it possible that that's not even the accurate Bible that existed, that the authors even wrote? I just want to tell you this. We, we have thousands and thousands of, uh, of copies that are the same. You have thousands of copies of the same story. Anyone know how many copies we have of the Bible? Gabby, you guessed it. We have 24,633 copies of the New Testament. That's a lot of copies. Do you know how accurate all of those copies are? 99.5% the same. 99.5% these 24,633 copies are identical. And the 0.5% that's different is like this. One manuscript, one, had John written with two ends instead of one. There's one of your 0.5 differences. Another, uh, a couple other copies of the manuscripts might say Christ Jesus instead of Jesus Christ. That makes up for a large percentage of the, the 0.5 differences. And, and so none of the differences that we see amongst the, the, the copies of Scripture have any fundamental difference. Like none of the differences make any fundamental change to what Scripture means. You know, there, there are no differences in the Bible that are, are huge fundamental differences, such as Jesus had 12 disciples, right? We know the modern translation we have says Jesus had 12 disciples. There are none that say Jesus was this dude who loved a Harley Davidson motorcycle and he was the leader of a biker gang. Like, that would be a big difference. If we had copies that had fundamental differences uh, of who Jesus was between being a guy who was full of compassion and who was a teacher versus a guy who was beating people up and leading a biker gang, that's a big difference. But none of the differences that we see are like that. And so I want to argue this, that Saying scripture, saying the Bible is untrustworthy because it's been quote unquote changed is just an excuse that people make. And hasn't that been the theme throughout this entire series is that a lot of these reasons are really excuses. And I want to argue that we make this excuse not because the Bible contradicts itself but because the Bible contradicts us. When people say that they can't believe Scripture, when they can't believe the Bible because it's untrustworthy, because it's been changed, they're not saying that because the Bible contradicts itself. They're saying it because the Bible contradicts them. Because if the Bible is actually true, that means I might have to change things. That means I might have to, to change things. And I, I may say, I don't like what the Bible says about this, 
I don't like what it says about this topic, so I'm just going to ignore it because I don't like it because it was written 2,000 years ago. It, it wasn't up to speed on, on 21st century, the you know, 2020 beliefs, like the Bible's just old, it's intolerant. It's written 2,000 years ago. It doesn't know society today. We're saying that not because the Bible contradicts itself, but because the Bible contradicts us, and we don't want to change. Let me tell you something. Get out. Get out of cancel culture. Get out of cancel culture. That, I feel like that is one thing that has just run crazy in our nation today. I was watching, uh, many of you might know the comedian John Christ. I was watching, uh, you know, he's gone through some stuff recently, but he, he's come out on the other side and he's started making some videos again, and I've enjoyed it. They're funny. But he's walking through Walmart, and he was walking up to all these different brands, and, and he was going, canceled because of this, canceled because of that. Like, he canceled Teddy Grahams because it had a picture of Paw Patrol on the front. And he said, nope, Paw Patrol's been canceled, so Teddy Grahams got to go. We've got to get out of this. We have got to get out of this mindset that just because we don't like something, just because we don't agree with something, that we just dismiss it and say it's not true. And, and I feel like the Bible is the one thing that for the last hundreds of years has been on the chopping block, has been on the canceling block of society. This is, cancel culture is not a, a, a 2020 thing. The Bible has been being canceled for years, and it's been being canceled because it's contradicting people. Now, could it really be that the Bible is right? Could it really be that at the core of it, we are selfish? Could it, could it be that our selfish and sinful desires are wrong? Could, it, could, could that be true? Could it be really be the opposite of what we've been thinking? Could it be that we dismiss scripture because we don't want to be convicted? Do we dismiss the, the one thing that convicts us because we don't want that conviction? Because we want what we want. We don't want to be told no. And we want to live life the way we want to live life. And we don't want to give up what we deem to be desirable, what we deem to be pleasurable, so could it be that the Bible is right and that we just dismiss it because it convicts us? I'm going to argue that that is the one, the only reason that we dismiss the Bible. And, and I want to argue that that is the reason that we claim the Bible is untrustworthy, that it's been changed, that, that you can't build a foundation on it is because it convicts us. So what do we do with the Bible? We're, we're supposed to, as Christians, we're, we're supposed to, to build our lives upon the word of God. It's supposed to be our strong and true foundation. So, so what do we do with it? It's simple. You ready? It's really simple. Read it, apply it. Read it, apply it. Guess what? Read it, finish it, apply it. You're not very talkative today. Read it and apply it. Read it and apply it. And, and don't just read one part of it. Read all of it. And don't just pick and choose which parts of it you want to apply. Apply all of it. Read all of it. Apply all of it. And understand how to study it. Now, I don't expect you to necessarily know how to do that. And so here's how you study Scripture. You pick it up. You pick up 
a Bible, you don't pick up your phone. You pick up a physical paper that you can feel and you can turn the pages. You pick up one of those. You pick up a Bible and you read it. And here's what you do. You ask yourself, what is the eternal truth in this scripture? In this passage that I'm reading, what is the truth? And how do I apply it to my life? Here's what you don't do. You do not read scripture like a magic eight ball where you, you shake it and you say, hmm, should I move to Destin, Florida? Because a lot of people would like to move to Destin, Florida. Let me tell you, we live in a pretty great spot. Do not shake the Bible, just flip open the Bible and say, should I move to Destin and start reading? And by chance you flip to the, the gospels where Jesus is meeting with his disciples after he's resurrected and he's cooking breakfast on the beach and go, oh, Jesus is cooking breakfast on the beach. I guess Destin's the beach. Jesus is on the beach. I guess I'm moving to the beach. Don't do that. You will really mess things up. That, is, that does not mean that that is God's plan for your life. Or, or don't sit there and go, God, what is the name of my future husband? Girls, don't do this. Do not go, God, what is the name of my future husband? And flip over in the Bible to where it says John was the most beloved. And go, oh, I guess my future husband's name is John. I think there's a lot of ladies in this room that if they had done that, they would not have met their husbands. <laughs> okay? Don't do that. Don't read the Bible like a magic eight ball. But pick up the Bible. And I'm just going to tell you, as if you've not been in the habit of reading scripture, if reading scripture is not something you do often, start in a gospel. Start in a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and ask, what's the truth and how does it apply to me? Start there. Start there, but don't stay there. Do not stay there. The Old Testament, a, a big argument people have is, should, ha, does the Old Testament, is it even, does it even apply to us today? Should we even read the Old Testament? And I'm going to tell you right now, there, there are some uh, big name preachers out there who will say we only need to be reading the New Testament. And I'm just going to caution you of that, that that is not true. We need to be reading the Old Testament. But how should we read it? Should we le read it literally or is there another way? I'm, I'm going to tell you that you need to read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. You need to read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And understand this, as you read the, New the Old Testament, excuse me, understand that the Old Testament doesn't always apply literally to your life, okay? Especially when we look at Levitical law, right? Like if you look in the book of Leviticus, all the different rules, right? Like don't get tattoos, right? That's one of them. Understand why God was saying that at that time. He was telling his people don't get tattoos because there was a pagan religion, a, a, un, an ungodly religion that identified themselves by the wearing of tattoos. Okay? So we need to understand the context in which God is giving laws and asking, do these apply to us through the new covenant, right? The, the, the covenant, the relationship that has been established with us through Jesus, we need to understand that the Old Testament doesn't always condone what it's saying. 
the Old Testament, the things that you read in the Old Testament are not always condoned by God. If you look at King Solomon and all of the wives that he had, if you look at, I think it's on your small group questions tonight, if you look in 1 Kings, Solomon had a bunch of wives. But just because the Old Testament says that Solomon had a bunch of wives and that he was in a relationship with God, does that mean that God condoned that? No, it doesn't mean that. But how do we know that God didn't condone those things? Well, if we read in the New Testament, God says that marriage should be between one man and one wife, right? Not many, but one. And so as we read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, we begin to realize the principles apply to our lives. If you look at Daniel, a real popular story in the book of Daniel is Daniel and the lion's den. If you're reading that literally, you could say that story is never going to apply to your life because you're never going to be, hopefully, thrown into a den of lions. But could it be that the principle of having faith in the midst of adversity, when, when everything is going against you, hanging on to your faith, that principle, that principle does apply to your life. And so read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament and ask yourself, what is the principle that this Old Testament passage is teaching me and how does that apply to us? Another question that a, a, lot, of, a lot of students, a lot of adults ask when it comes to what, what do I do with the Bible is what translation should I read? There's a bunch of translations. I'm, I'm going to make it as simple as possible for you on this. The translation that you need to be reading is whatever translation you're reading. That's it. The translation you need to be reading is whichever translation you'll actually read. If you like Shakespeare and Old English, go read the King James Version. That's not for me. I read the NLT. Sometimes I read the ESV. Sometimes I read the NIV. Okay? It's whatever translation you will read. Again, start in a gospel and read about Jesus and apply Jesus to your life because it will change your life. I want to tell you how it will change your life. I want to tell you how often you need to be reading the word. Okay, there was a study done in 2009, just quickly as we close. There was a study done in 2009 that looked at um, 40,000 different Christians. Some of you who have been in fire starters, I've told you about this study before. It surveyed 40,000 different Christians between ages 8 and 80. And I asked them some really personal questions. Uh, you know, how many times do you read uh, the Bible a week? You know, and asked them about different sins. Like, do you, are you engaged in these sins? And, and so what they realized after they looked at the breakdown of everything, they realized this. That if you read scripture once a week, you could expect to experience zero change in your life. Zero change. That the difference between your life and a non-believer's life, someone who reads the word none, right, if you read the word none versus someone who reads it once a week, there's going to be no difference. Your engagement in sin is going to be the same as if you never read the word of God. You will experience no change if you read it once a week. If you read scripture twice a week, you can expect to experience no change. No change. If you read scripture three times a week, you can expect to experience no change. No change. Three times a week. No change. 
But the study found out that if you read scripture four or more times a week, that is when you began to experience change. Huge change, massive change, change to the fact that people who read their Bible four or more times a week were 220% more likely to share their faith with somebody than someone who read it less than four times a week. 220% more likely to share their faith. Why? What's the difference between three and four in a week? Four is the majority of that week. So what you are influencing yourself with The majority of the week is scripture when you're reading it four or more times a week versus if you're not. If you're only reading it three or less times a week, then scripture is not the main influence in your life. That is not what you are consuming the majority of the week. And four is that tipping point. I'll just tell you this, that consistency leads to transformation. Consistency leads to transformation. If you want your life to be transformed by the Spirit, by Jesus, then you've got to be consistent and you've got to read the word. Don't believe me? Start reading your Bible. Take for, You've got, from now, school doesn't start for three more weeks. Really, I think four more weeks. Got to the end of August, August 31st, start reading your Bible and read it every day between now and the time school starts. Go start in the Gospel of Matthew or go start in Mark. I like to point a lot of students to Mark. I think it's a very a full picture of the life of Jesus. And I think it's a very simple perspective of the life of Jesus. Or go read John. But just over the course of the next month, just read read the word. Be consistent. I think at the core, a lot of people don't like the Bible because they think it's just one big rule book. We just think it's one big rule book. And yes, the Bible is full of do's and don'ts. It has do's and don'ts in it. But the Bible is full of the love of Jesus for you. It is full of the forgiveness of God, full of the grace of God. And it's full of his desire to have a relationship with you. And so if you want your life to be transformed by Jesus, then you got to pick up your Bible and start reading about Jesus. And that is my hope for you is that you... You will be consistent so that your life can be transformed by the word, by the spirit. And get off your phone. Yes, the Bible app is convenient, but get off your phone. Pick up the word. If you don't have a Bible, let me know. I've got a whole stack of Bibles sitting right out here that will be free for you. I will give you a Bible. I will give you a Bible for free because I, I, I believe that you need to have a Bible. Because I think it's that important. Because I want all of you to experience transformation from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this night, just the ability and opportunity to to gather together, to learn about you and to learn about your word literally tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have blessed us with it. Lord, we pray that you would draw us to you, that you would draw us to your word. Lord, we ask that as we read the word, Lord, you would teach us, that you would show us how your word applies to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would convict us through your word. And Lord, as we experience conviction, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't dismiss your word. Lord, I pray we wouldn't dismiss your conviction. 
But, Lord, we would listen to it. Lord, we would learn from it. Lord, all of us, myself included. Lord, I pray that you would convict me. Or that you would teach me through conviction. Lord, teach me through your word. Lord, I thank you for all of these students. Lord, I pray that you would give them the desire to be in relationship with you, to read your word, and to grow with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes, Lord, to the the love that you have for them, the grace and forgiveness that you have for them, Lord, the blessings that you are giving them. Lord, I pray that as we continue to go through these uncertain times, Lord, that you would just protect these students, protect their families, keep them safe. Lord, any of them who are experiencing anxiety or, or mental sickness over what is going on, Lord, I pray that you would just give them peace and comfort. Lord, I know this can feel like a really isolating time, but Lord, I pray that you would show them your presence and give them your comfort and peace. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our time as, as we go to groups, Lord, and help us unpack this and just talk about your word. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, everyone. This is Nathan Sell, the youth pastor at Jesson United Methodist Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My prayer is that the Lord would use this podcast as an opportunity to speak life into you. I hope all of you know the love that the Lord has for you and that you are experiencing his blessings each and every day. God bless you.